What a wonderful truth. Beloved, if you will, may that be your prayer for Grace Life Church in Alberta, Canada. Could you imagine showing up here on Sunday morning and there was a steel cage around your church with 24-hour security from federal police saying that you cannot come into this building and worship? They are our brothers, they are our sisters in the faith, and beloved, they are, they are in desperate need of our prayers, and I pray that you will do that this week for them. Not just that they'll be led into the building, but they will be the church even if they do not have the building. May that be our prayer this week. If you will take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll begin in just a moment in verse 6. We're going to walk through, um, we're going to kind of come back to this chapter. We took a two-week break for Easter. Uh, Brother Trey uh, preached on the atonement, and then I preached on the resurrection. So we had a little bit of a break. And so we are kind of coming back now to 1 Corinthians. And if you remember, uh, the theme of this chapter has been walk in your assignment. Walk in your assignment, walk in your condition, uh, that you were saved, that you were called in. And so we'll, we'll look at this in a moment, but there in verses 17, 24, we did this a little different. We, we kind of start at the middle of the chapter, now we're kind of working our way back. And so we'll see, it's kind of a series within a series. And there in verses 17, 24, Paul is writing to them, telling them that they are to stay in the manner in which they were called. Verse 24, brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. The big idea here is, is that God had saved them in these present, present conditions. They must now live for him in those conditions. And so you walk the path that God has called you on, and you don't need to go look for a, another path. Now, th- there are options there that may come open, and we'll see that as we walk through this text. But, but, but for some, there are not, and for others, there may be options. But at the end of the day, you don't need another path. You don't need to change your conditions in order to experience joy in this life and in order to love the Lord, in order to be faithful unto the Lord. And so we ask the question, well, what conditions is the Apostle Paul talking about here? Well, the conditions are ones that, I, that we are all very, very familiar with. It is the conditions of marriage. It is the condition of divorce. The conditions of remarriage. It is the conditions of singleness due to being unmarried. The condition of singleness due to the death of a spouse or maybe divorce itself. And if we wanted to just kind of, if we were to take a survey, we probably would realize that that would probably cover 100% of everybody assembled here this morning, wouldn't it? These are things that we're all familiar with in one way or another, whether it's in us, our life, or those that we love around us. We must face that this chapter hits very close to home. Matter of fact, one of the hardest things as a pastor for me to ever do is really to preach on any kind of text that deals with the issue of, of marriage and divorce because we understand the pain of that. We understand the pain and the hardship of that. And we also have to understand what the scripture says about it. And it can be very tough. But we must face that this chapter hits very close to home. And that it meets us in the trenches of life. And it helps us to navigate the conditions that we are in. In a way that God is glorified and we are keeping the commandments. By which Paul has told us we need to do. And so these verses may even sting a little bit as we begin to walk through them. But they are for our benefit. And I hope that they will be a blessing for you. Now, the last time that we were here in this chapter, you, you need to, we need to remember that Paul dealt with, in those first six verses there, 
Paul dealt with the issue of marriage and physical intimacy, that there were those who were married, uh, they had gotten saved after their marriage and things, and so they wanted to live for the Lord, and they thought being celibate or, or even divorcing their spouse and going into the single life would be the best for them, right? And so Paul writes to them, and he says, no, that in actually God has given you this wonderful gift, and so it's able to help you fight off temptation and to serve one another. But now this morning we pick up where we're going to look at marriage in general, and not just marriage in general, we're going to look at marriage that is being troubled. We're going to look at trouble in paradise a little bit here, where where there are some things that are taking place within the marriage, and Paul is telling them how to navigate through this. And now, for those who are are my my single flock here this morning, hear me, I want to give that a full Sunday. And so it's that the, Paul begins to work, talk about the conditions of walking through singleness here, and it's weaved in and out of the conditions of marriage. And so what I've wanted to do is I want to kind of separate the two, and we'll deal with the issue of marriage, and then we'll deal with the issue of singleness so that we're able to give it the full attention that it deserves. Amen? Amen. We want to do that. And so, and so this morning, we're, doing, we're just going to deal with the issue of marriage. So we'll skip a few verses, but we'll come back to it in a couple of weeks. All right, we're going to have another little break coming up, but we'll come back to it in a couple of weeks. But if you will, let's begin in chapter 7, beginning in verse 6. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. And what he means is, is that there is no command that a man must marry, that a woman must marry, or they must be single. Okay, verse 7. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried, to the widows, that if it is good for them, if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And that the husband should not divorce his wife. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her, uh, she must not send her, her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in, the, in, in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? And may God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. There is a, a seminary professor who, who summed this chapter up, I believe, with a very tacky illustration. I didn't like the illustration because if you, for those of you who really know me, you know that I believe marriage is a gift. And, and so the illustration to me really wasn't the, the best. I, I didn't really like it. Uh, tacky but it really does sum it up all right it really does a good job of summing it up he said that marriage and singleness are like flies on a screen door there are those flies who want to get in and there are those flies who want to get out I, again it's, it's not me as his you know but it does sum up this chapter all right i would never ever say that you are flies on a screen door but he does sum up the chapter what he's saying here is within this within this church of corinth this is what's happening. You've got those who are married and they want out. And you've got those who are single and they want in. And, and so this, this has presented a struggle within, within the church. And so here's, here's the idea here. The idea is if I could just get outside this marriage, I'll be happier. If I can just get single, 
I'll be happier. And and then those who are not married are looking on the other end of the thing. And they're looking, if I can just get into a marriage, I'll be happier. If I can just find me a, a good man or find me a good woman and, and, and get, you know, have a good marriage, then, then I'm going to be okay and I'm going to serve the Lord with gladness, right? And so those are the same struggles today. And so again, we're, we're confronted with the reality of Scripture that it is as relevant today as it was then, then as it is today. That today, this is still a struggle where, where those who are married are looking and going, if I was single, I would be better off because I'm in this troubled marriage. Or they're looking at other marriages and they're going, well, if I had a spouse like that, if I had money like that, you know, if we had conditions like that couple over there, then then our marriage is going to be better off. And then you kind of have the same thing with those who are single. If my spouse had not died, if we had not divorced, or if I had found somebody, then, then life would be good and I would be full of joy and happiness. And, and therefore, I could serve the Lord better. So that's the thing. There are these conditions, different conditions equal a happier, joyful life. And the reality is, beloved... Is that you have these thoughts all the time, and maybe not in the area of marriage and singleness. It may be your job, where some of you said, if I have that job, I, I'm, I'll be happy. If, if, if I had this many children, I would be happy. If I didn't have this many children, I'd be happy. Or if, if I went to that school, I'd be happy. If I had this degree, I would be happy. If, if I made this much money, I would be happy. If I, if I did this, then, then, then change the conditions. If I had never divorced or remarried or, or whatever the case may be. If I could just change my conditions, I'll be better off. You've been there, haven't you, FBC? Amen? You've been there. We've all, had, we've all had those moments where we look around our life and we look at these circumstances and we think, God, if you would just change the circumstances, I will, do a, I will be a better Christian. And so life of Corinthians, beloved, you and I struggle within the conditions that we live, whether it be married or single. And so the question arises is, what do I do when the marriage is in trouble? Again, we'll, we'll get to the singleness later. I won't deal with that fully. But, but what do I do when the marriage is in trouble? Do I change the condition? Maybe you were saved after you were married. But your spouse was not. And so now you found yourself in a, in a marriage relationship where you have one who is saved and one who is not. And it's caused some problems. Or, or maybe you're both saved. But, but you're carrying the baggage of your life in the past. And so you've carried that over into this new life. And you're having to learn some new things. And, and, and it's, it's, committed, it's, it's caused some tension. It's caused some problems. All right? Or, or, or maybe you've been divorced and remarried. And so then the question is, is do, well, do I need to divorce the, the, the spouse that I'm with now? And I need to go back to the, to the first one and make amends with my first spouse and make those right. Well, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beloved, gives us some very hard yet, yet wonderful truth that, that helps us walk through the issue of marriage. And so there are three things that I need you to see this morning, okay? Three things. First, I want you to view marriage as a gift. I want you then to see that we must fight to keep our marriage permanent. And then fourthly, I want you to, to see that we must evangelize the marriage partner. And, and, then, and then we'll even show a fourth thing. I, there's actually four things, I guess. I want you to see the hope of a greater gift. And so you'll see that in just a moment. But let us begin this morning by looking at marriage as a give. Look at verse 6. He says, but I say this a way of concession, not of command, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and, and another in that. 
So Paul was saying that, that both are gifts, right? Marriage and singleness. And this is what's really amazing to me because you would look at one and you would say, well, one's a gift and the other's not. That's what the, that's what the other would think. They're looking, they're looking at the other two and they say, well, one's a gift and one's not. But Paul was saying that both are gifts. But in the, in the area of marriage, some of you may say, well, brother, that's easy for you to say. You don't know my, my marriage struggles, right? That's easy for you to say, brother Brian, you, you know, your marriage ain't like my marriage. My marriage got problems. Well, number one, I didn't say it. Paul said it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, meaning God said it, so, so, so you may want to watch that. Paul says, your marriage is a gift, period. Not your marriage is a gift if such and such happens. No, 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 Paul didn't say that. Paul said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, meaning God is speaking here, that marriage is a gift that has been given from him to you and to I. So, so God says this. Secondly, just because something is hard and something is trying and something is difficult doesn't mean it's not a gift. Because let us be honest this morning, you don't always like every gift that you get. It doesn't meet all of your need. Every gift that you get for Christmas, it, it's not going to be the ultimate fulfillment of your life. It's not going to fix all of your problems, beloved. And as you're going to see, marriage is not your ultimate fulfillment. And nine times out of ten, the reason you don't like the gift that you receive is because actually you wanted something different. You were coveting something else. And so nine times out of ten, the reason that we don't see marriage as a, as a gift from the Lord is that we're actually coveting something that we should not be coveting. We're wanting something that God has not given us. And this is exactly how the culture views marriage. The culture has painted the negative picture of marriage that it is more of a burden than it is, of a, than it is a gift because there are times it can be hard. At times it can be rough. At times it could hurt and be painful. And so therefore the idea is, is that once I get married... Then all the fun and joy is gone. It, I'm going to have fun with my life, and I'm going to get as much joy out of my life as I can, and then I'll get married. That is probably one of the saddest things I've ever heard. And if you don't believe me, people, don't, people are not hearing this. I sat with a couple this week in premarital counseling. They're about to get married, and I asked them the question. I said, how many people told you that marriage is a gift? And they said, no one. They said, all we ever hear is how, how bad and how all our joy is going to be over. And you could see the desperation on their face. They're saying, is this really the way it is? Every time I talk to a young couple who is, get, who is about to get married, that is all they ever hear. And they should not be hearing it from us. They should not be hearing it from us. And so this is the reason why the younger generation is pushing their, their, them getting married to later in life rather than earlier. Why? Because we've allowed the culture, beloved, we've allowed our minds and our hearts to be warped into believing that marriage is not a gift. Again, we'll get into your circumstances in a minute. But at the end of the day, marriage itself in general, according to the scriptures, is a gift from God. And what is a gift? But it is, a, it is, a, it is a, something that is given to you as an expression of love to bring joy or to benefit you in some way. 
And we know this to be true because you can go all the way over to Genesis chapter 2. And I want you to see this. Because here we find in Genesis chapter 2 that marriage, the very first institution, is, is given to man in verse 18. Where, where we read this in Genesis two eighteen, And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper. I will suitable for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, and every bird of the sky. And he brought them to the man to see that he would call, what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He slept, and then he took one of his ribs. He closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into, uh, fashioned into a woman the rib, which he had taken from man and he brought her the very first wedding he brought her to adam and the man said this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man and for these reasons man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and the wife were both naked and they were not ashamed do you see the glory there This is the glory of man, is that Adam has nobody, and he's looking around, and there's nothing for him, and God sees the pain in Adam. God sees the grief within Adam, that that Adam has nothing suitable for him, and God says, Adam, I got something for you. I got a gift that I want to bring to you, and he brings Eve to Adam, and there they are wed. And so we see that, that the Bible affirms that marriage is a gift. It is an unmerited gift for mankind. Adam did nothing to deserve this marriage. It's not as though Adam had to go live and work for God really hard like, right? Do all the work and please God for God to say, I got something for you, Adam. It was unmerited. Marriage, beloved, is an unmerited grace, a common grace that God gives to man that we may find some love and joy in our life. It is a solution to the issue of loneliness. That Adam had nobody. There was no one for him. And God says, I've got something for you. I've got this, I've got this woman that I'm going to give to you and you're going to share life with her. I've got this helpmate. Right? Where we're working to help one another through our own struggle and to bring glory and honor to God in, in our own goals in life and in the, in the jobs and the, in the work that God has given us. I'm not alone in this. I've got a helper. It is the one flesh union where it's not just a physical connection, but it is a spiritual and an emotional and a mental connection. Where do we see where there are multiple people who make one, but yet the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and yet God says, I'm going to give you a taste of one flesh union. I'm going to give you a taste of what I know, and that He gives us man and woman coming together in one flesh. You can back it up and you see... The blessing of procreation, the blessing of a family. That man and woman bring forth children and there the Bible speaks greatly of their blessings. That they, that a man whose quiver is full, he is greatly blessed. You get the blessing of physical intimacy. Love, marriage is a gift. And as we will shortly see in a moment, you will also see that marriage not only contributes to all of these things, but it will also can contribute to a person's salvation and their sanctification as well. And so scripture reveals that marriage is beneficial and joyful. FBC, marriage is not exempt from problems. Marriage is not exempt from problems. It is not exempt from difficulties. But for you and I to constantly view Marriage, as the way the culture does, it's sinful and unbiblical. And let me say to you, it is unhelpful to those who are getting married. 
If your marriage is struggling, beloved, hear me this morning. Your problem may be the fact that we have lost sight of what marriage is. We have lost the very definition and the very, the very idea of what marriage was intended from the very beginning. That it was a gift and not a burden. And so if that is you this morning, hear me, please. If you are one of those people, especially if you are a Christian this morning, and you are one of those people who have such a negative view on marriage, and marriage, is, you see it as a burden, hear me this morning, you need to repent of that because you are calling God a liar. Because God says marriage is a gift. Repent of that, beloved. And then secondly, I would call upon you to study the Scripture to discover the beauty of marriage. Go to Ephesians 5 and see how marriage is a portrayal of the Gospel. Go, go and read how, how, how those who, who had godly marriage, not marriage without problems, but godly marriages, and how they worked together to bring glory to the Lord. We see this through the Scriptures. Seek, FBC, hear me this morning. Can, you, can we do this? Can you seek those of you who are married and you've been married for, for 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years, 60, however long, how long have you been married? You've been married for a long time. Can you help and seek to, to, to encourage and help younger people getting married? Or maybe even people who have been married for a long time but are struggling. Can, can, can you use your marriage to, to, to bring sanctification to others and in helping them? Because you want them to experience. There are many of you in here, you will tell me, marriage has been one of the greatest gifts God has ever given you. Help others in this. Be the church. And FBC, can we pray and look for ways to teach others about the beauty of marriage? Because that verse right there is not being preached by the culture. Marriage is a gift. That's not what they're hearing. Let us, the church, preach the the gospel. Let us, the church, preach the truth that there is a beauty and a glory here. But secondly, not only does Paul remind us that it's a gift. Notice verse 10. But to the married I give instruction, not I, but the Lord. Now, listen to this. Paul's not going, when you see this, not I, but the Lord, or I, not the Lord. It's not that they're in competing. It, what he means is, is when he says the Lord, he means Jesus gave a command and taught on this. And Paul's saying, or he says he hasn't taught on this. So under the inspiration of scripture, let me tell you what he wants you to know. Okay. They're not competing here. He says, he says, uh, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. And so here, the second thing I want you to see is that we must fight to keep marriage permanent. Paul, Paul now says that the next instruction comes directly from the mouth of God. In other words, he says, I, I don't have to teach on this a whole lot. Because you can go back to Matthew chapter 19, which we're going to go to in just a moment. He says, you can go back to Matthew chapter 19, you can go back to Matthew chapter 5, and he says, you can read and see what the Lord himself taught. So that's what Paul means here. But Paul recognizes that marriages have problems. He's, he's reading this letter from the people of Corinth who are saying that their marriage has problems. And he's reading this letter with married people saying they need to be single. And Paul says, listen, you need to obey the command of Christ. And that is, stay married. Stay married. You have, beloved, here's the deal. You have no idea how many times over the years of ministry are people coming into my office or coming to my house and talking to me about their marriage. And they're just like, but you don't know my problems. Stay married. How can you say that to me? Matthew chapter 19. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. When Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea and uh, beyond the Jordan. A large crowd followed him and healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and he said, Have you not read? 
Have you not read the Bible? That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it it, it has not been this way. So we understand that this was a permission by Moses. Moses and by God's grace he, he allows it but God never commanded them to divorce and he says I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for immorality sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery and the disciples seeing that they overreact and they go they said to him man if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this it's better not to marry they, they recognize the seriousness of what Jesus is saying when Jesus is asked about divorce, he gave only one exception in the area of adultery. And if I had time with you this morning, I would argue with you, it is the exception of unrepentant adultery. You should not call your lawyer the, the very moment and walk out of the marriage. There should be this, if we're believers, we must put this in the context of forgiveness and grace and calling people to repentance. There's an issue of church discipline and calling people to repent of their sins. And if he's unrepentant or if she's unrepentant, then, then yes, we see this exception here. But, but beloved, Jesus is commanding these couples to remain married with only this one exception. And that remarriage results in the sin of adultery, not perpetual adultery. Because some people live in this and they think that if they've remarried that, that they're just living in constant sin. No, that's not what's happening here. And Paul repeats this command to the Corinthians. Do not divorce And if you do, walk in your singleness unless the marriage is dissolved by adultery or verse 39, your spouse dies. And again, this is where it's hard, isn't it? Because we know that within this very congregation of people that we love, people in my family and friends, I, I see this. You felt this. So there's two things I need to say to you this morning. The first one I'm going to read from a book. Divorce and wrongful marriage are forgivable sins. Amen? Divorce and wrongful marriage are forgivable sins. Jesus, when Jesus died, he did not fail to atone for the, for the misdeeds of his people in this critical area. Even the person who has acted as wrongly as possible in this matter may be fully forgiven and have a fulfilled life of service to God after repentance. Also, God mercifully blesses many second marriages that begin sinfully. This is a mystery for which we can all be extremely grateful. Amen? God's God's death of his son did not fail to atone for the problems and the troubles in marriage. And so hear me, FBC, on this. If you have been remarried, if you have experienced the pain of divorce, the sin, even the sin of divorce, hear me on this this morning. If your spouse has committed these things and, and, and you are, this is a sunless struggle, hear me on this. You are not a second class citizen. Why? Because Christ died and rose from the grave and he covers our sins. You do not divorce the spouse you are with now to go back to the spouse that you had. Why? Because Christ died and rose from the grave and covers your sins. And Christ is sanctifying you now. And he wants you now to live faithfully in this marriage. And he wants you to bring glory and honor to him in this marriage now. 
You are not second-class citizens. You are God's people. And so we stay faithful with the spouse that we have, that if we've experienced this, beloved, what Paul is saying, if you've experienced this, then you look to your spouse that you are living with right now, that you have made a vow to and a commitment to before, before God and man, and you look them in the, in the eyes and you say to them, I, listen, we, we had trouble in the past. I know that this marriage didn't work out or your marriage didn't work out, but by God's grace, he has covered our sins and I am sticking with you. I'm going to be with you. We're, we're going to, we're going to work this through and we're going to be together and we're going to bring honor and we're going to bring glory to God. Amen? Amen. Christ did that for you. But secondly, I must say this to you. That God's grace is something to be thankful for, but it must not be cheapened. It must not be cheapened. And too many marriages are ending in divorce, not because of adultery. It's because they're unhappy in marriage. And I see this so many times of, of, of someone coming into my office and saying, I'm just unhappy and God doesn't want me to be unhappy. That's a sermon for another day. But your happiness is not the ultimate goal here. God's glory is. And God killed and crushed His own Son for His glory. You made a vow. You made a commitment And since God is a forgiving God, we believe that it is okay that I could just do whatever sin that I want. And it's okay. So let me say this too. The other week, a few weeks ago, I preached on the sin of homosexuality and sexual immorality. And for about a week or two, many of you were coming to me and you were saying, Brother Brian, thank you for preaching against sin. Thank you for taking a stand against our culture. Beloved, hear me on this. If we are going to preach against that sin and take a stand against that sin, then we better start preaching and taking a stand on this sin. And stop telling people it's okay to walk out of their marriage because they're unhappy. That is a sin. Yes, God covers that sin and we're thankful for it, but we do not presume upon the grace of God. So if I'm going to take a stand against homosexuality, then you better be ready for the fact we're going to take a stand against the sin of divorce as well. That we take a stand and we fight for our marriages. And so when someone comes and says, I'm unhappy in my marriage because my husband or my wife did this, it is not your job to say, well, look at that sorry sucker. You should just walk out. No. You say the same thing Jesus said, and you say the same thing Paul said. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you say, you fight for your marriage. You fight for it. Your spouse has an addiction. You fight for your spouse that you may keep the marriage and you fight for them. Your, your, your marriage has lost its passion. You, don't, you fight for the passion and the love within your marriage. You're, you fight over finances. You fight over your children. Beloved, you fight to save the marriage. And I know this is hard. And those of you who say, I wish I would have fought. And you were living in God's grace. You, you, you've experienced divorce and, you've, and, and then remarried and God is blessing you, beloved. And you think that you have nothing to say to us. You have so much to teach us. It's not you. It's the, it's the, it's the Lord. But you can teach us to fight. You can teach us what we, what we can do and what we should be doing. And so I would say to you this morning, beloved, if you are struggling in your marriage and, and your marriage is struggling, hear me this morning. Seek help within the local church. Uh, this is, me and Trey were talking about this. You imagine what's happening here? The, these people are struggling. They're in the church and they're writing and they're going, my marriage and I'm single and I've got these problems and I don't, I don't know what to do. I know what to do. Dear Paul, 
And they write to Paul, and Paul is reading this letter. They become vulnerable. They're saying, they're saying, Buddy and I are struggling, right? We don't know what to do. They're seeking help from their, their, their pastor, from their, from their church member here, their, from their brother in Christ. And many of us who are in marriage within the church, but it needs to be okay that you are able to come and talk to other people within the church and say to them, I am struggling in my marriage. Because God gave you a gift called the church. God gave you a gift to help you. And so use the church to walk through these things to find help. But secondly, beloved, you must repent of any sin that has caused the tension within your marriage. It may be your sin. It may be someone else's sin. But you must repent of these sins. And then thirdly, very quickly, you must worship together. It is said that those who regularly worship are 35% less likely to divorce compared to those who have no affiliation to the church, nominal Christians, nominal Christians are 20% more likely to divorce compared to the secular American. So if you're playing church today, you have a 20% more likely chance that you will divorce. But if you are worshiping the Lord and seeking the Lord, beloved, you have a greater likely that you will keep your marriage. We fight for our marriage. And thirdly, we evangelize the partner. Look at this. But he says, to the rest, I say, not to the Lord. He says, not the Lord. In other words, Jesus did not speak on this. So Paul says, let me speak on it. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise, your children are unclean, but now they are holy. I cannot think of any greater pain for a pastor who has a spouse who comes into their office or in their home and says, my spouse is unsaved. And they cry and they say, I, I don't know what to do. So you can imagine the Apostle Paul reading this letter, these people he knows. And they're saying, Paul, I want to serve the Lord and I'm doing my very best, but my husband or my wife is unsaved and it is killing me. Because it's hard. When you see those tears, beloved, you know it's hard. So you can feel the pain here. And so what do they, what advice does Paul give? But he says to them the same thing that he said in the last one. He says, stay married. Unless your spouse walks out. You need to understand what Paul's saying here. He, he's saying stay married unless your spouse leaves. In other words, the Christian is not to be the one who pulls the divorce trigger. The Christian spouse is to fight for the marriage and to fight for their spouse, as we'll see in just a moment. But if the unbelieving spouse leaves, there is nothing lawful the Christian spouse can do. This is what I tell people every time. You cannot lock them in the basement. That is a crime. You can't handcuff them to the furnace. You can't, you can't hit them in the head and lock them in the room and make them stay. It's a crime. And so if they're going to leave, there is nothing lawful you can do. And so God in His grace shows, shows mercy to you and you, and, and you are above reproach in this. But, but, but don't miss what, the, what He's saying here. This is not a license for abuse. Because this, this is what people want to say. They say, well, you're saying something. No, no, that's not what we're saying. I don't have time to go through all that. This does not mean a Christian spouse is to, be, to endure abuse on this. There's a reason you have 911. 
We have a church to protect you and to bring comfort to you and you walk through those steps. What is this then? This is a call for ministry. Notice what he says. He says the unbelieving husband is sanctified through the wife. The unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. And and says for otherwise your children are unclean. It basically means the same thing. What he means is, is that the unbeliever and the children can be saved and sanctified because there's, not that they are, but there's a possibility because there's a Christian in the home. Sanctification means to be set apart. How do you set something apart? You draw it out. How did God set us apart from the world? He drew us out of the world and set us apart. So what you have here is, is that you have, you have a Christian spouse within a, in a marriage that's unequally yoked. And Paul is saying, you got a mission field, sister. You got a mission field, brother. That you can be part of the sanctification of drawing your unbelieving spouse out of the world. God is using you to minister to your spouse and to your children. You, they are being drawn out of worldly influence and into the grace of God. So, so children who are in a house of unbelieving parents may never receive any godly influence from the gospel. Yet if one parent is a believer, at least they are receiving some godly influence. And so this becomes the point here. By staying in the marriage, you're, not only are you keeping your vows, not only are you bring glory to God by being faithful, but you are influencing those in your home. Marriage. Has turned your house into a mission field. And you need not fly to Africa or to China to find a lost person. And so Paul says, evangelize your spouse. Do you have a husband or do you have a wife who doesn't know the Lord? Then he or she becomes the focus of your evangelism or your children. And they become the focus of your ministry. And if your spouse leaves, in God's grace, you are above reproach. But if they stay, beloved, there is something you can do. You can begin, you can pray for them. You can be godly examples to them. You can, you can share the gospel with them. You can do exactly what Jesus did for you. For God loved you and died for you in spite of your sins. You can love and care for your unbelieving spouse in spite of his or her sins. And it is a picture of the gospel of Christ who gives his life sacrificially for those in sin. But let me speak for just a moment here on this. This is hard. This is hard. Those who are walking in this situation, hear me this morning. Your pain is not to be lost on the rest of us. So FBC, don't miss this. I'm speaking to you, church, for the person... The spouse, for, for, for the person whose spouse or children, that they, they love them. They love them dearly. They are married to them. They, they brought them into the world. They've raised them. They love them. And for them, for their, the one that they love, to not love Christ as they love is a hard thing. And so I ask you to open up to others and let them pray and encourage. So hear me this morning. If you were in this situation, then you need to know that, that, that brother and sister, hear me. We want to pray for you and we want to walk with you. And we want to rejoice with you and we want to mourn with you. We, we want to weep with you. So let us do that. 
And, and, and I, I want you to tell you that, that meet with those in your church and begin to pray for your spouse. And to the church, hear me on this, I say this, please do not ignore our brothers and sisters in these conditions. You are their gift. By God as a church, you've been given to them to help them. So, so let us make every effort to love them and pray for them and assist them as they are walking through this condition because it is a hard, hard condition. You can send them prayer grams when you come and pray at the church. You can send encouraging text mail. You can invite them into your home on a regular basis. You can listen to them and build them up. You can read the scriptures and remind them of the grace of God. But beloved, don't ignore them. Don't you dare ignore them. They have been given a very tough mission field. And we are to walk with them in this. They are not alone. You are not alone. But I want to just, as we close, I want to go back to verse 7. He says, however, each man has his own gift. Marriage is a gift, beloved. Marriage is a gift. But it is not God's greatest gift. It is not God's greatest gift. Hear me this morning. There's a reason that this chapter is hard. There's a reason why all chapters that deal with marriage and divorce and remarriage and sin, it's hard. It's because sin has wrecked our marriages. And I don't have time to go back to Genesis 3, but you need to know that it all started in the garden when Adam ate of the forbidden fruit and the harmony between Adam and God was messed up and the harmony between Adam and creation was messed up, but also the harmony between Adam and Eve was messed up. And so sin, beloved, destroyed the harmony of marriage. And so if you have trouble this morning in your marriage, hear me on this. Please hear me. Sin is your problem, not your spouse. And so maybe it's your sin. And maybe it's your spouse's sin. Or maybe it's both of your sin. But sin is the problem. And guess what? If you leave the marriage, guess what's going to follow you? Sin. If you go into singleness, sin will follow you. And if you go into another marriage, sin will follow you. It's always going to follow you. And so, and, so, and so here what we think is, is that grass is greener on the other side, but it's nothing more than an illusion. What I need is not to change my conditions, but I need to change my heart or the heart of my spouse, which leads to the greater gift. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2.8, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. What is a gift? But to give to someone out of love. That he loved the world so much, he loved you, that he gave his son for you. Beloved, God has provided the greatest gift of all, and it is Christ. Your greatest joy and your greatest fulfillment is not going to come into that. Even if you fight and your marriage stays permanent, that is not your greatest fulfillment. That is not your greatest joy. It is Christ. And so therefore, if Christ has paid for my sins, and Christ has, through His life and through His death and through His resurrection, beloved, I must run to Christ to be able to reconcile and to not only redeem me, but to redeem my marriage. He and He alone can wash away your sins. By the way, He and He alone can wash away the sins of your spouse. He and He alone can save your marriage. How? Because Christ and Christ alone can save you. And sanctify you. And so this morning I offer to you this. Marriage is a gift that is worth fighting for. Ministering in. And embrace, but beloved, I will tell you this morning, it is not the greatest gift. It is the gift of Christ who then makes marriage even greater. 
And so in Christ, we see the marriage as a gift. And because marriage is an illustration of the gospel of Jesus, it is the stage in which mercy and forgiveness and love is played out before the world. In Christ, we can fight to have permanent marriages because it is, it is the power of Christ that where he rose from the grave. It's the power of Christ that changes wicked men and wicked women's hearts. And if his power can bring dead people back to life and change a man's heart from the inside out, beloved, hear me this morning. There is not one marriage in this place who is beyond the power of redeeming love of Christ. Amen? Amen. Seek the power of Christ. Repent of your sins. Embrace Christ. And I would even say thirdly and finally, in Christ... We evangelize and we minister to our family. We evangelize and we minister to those who are unsaved in our very households, knowing that if Christ can save us, Christ can save them. And if Christ did not give up on me, why would I ever give up on them? Evangelize and minister in your homes. Give them the gospel, beloved. And by doing these things, we are viewing marriage as the gift that God has given. We're fighting for our marriages. And beloved, we are seeking the redemption of our families. Why? Because there is a gift that is far greater. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.